Well, good morning, East Vancouver. Would you stand with me as we read God's word this morning out of Leviticus 19, verse 18? Uh, there we read this. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Remaining standing, let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to love our neighbors. When we want to give up and move away, help us to stay. When we grow frustrated or impatient, help us to be the fragrance of Christ. When we despair, remind us of your steadfast and life-changing love shown to us in your Son, Jesus. Amen. Well, love thy neighbor is one of the least controversial parts of the Bible. If I was to pack it in right now, end my sermon here with love thy neighbor, sure there'd be a few of you who'd be annoyed at the brevity of the sermon, but no one would be offended. Love thy neighbor, it's one of the least controversial parts of the Bible. For example, many people, Christian and irreligious alike, have during the pandemic championed the wearing of a mask. Why? It's a simple way, we're told, to love our neighbor. And the whole world nods their head in agreement. Yes, loving your neighbor is a good thing. We can all, whatever you believe, get on board with that. Then why are we so bad at it? If loving thy neighbor is this universally agreed upon ideal, why are we, Christian and non-Christian alike, so bad at it? There are many places I could go to, to prove that this is true. But for reasons that will become obvious later in our sermon, I want to give us some local examples of bad neighboring. In, in 2017, uh, the Vancouver Foundation published a now uh, famous study looking at uh, living conditions and connectivity in Vancouver. And what they found doesn't surprise any of us. Vancouverites are, on the whole, lonely. Forty uh, percent of them uh, were, were said they sometimes felt lonely. M more than a third said they felt completely isolated from their community. In Vancouver, in general, uh, participation in community-related activities, that's an activity outside your home, in the community. Participation in community-related activities with your neighbors has been on a steady decline since 2012. And yet, the same study that tells us all of this also tells us that this is not due to a lack of interest or desire. On the contrary, the study reads, most people want to get to know their neighbors better. Most people want this. Despite our desire to love and be with our neighbor, we are so so, so bad at it. Now, we can put an even finer point on it as a church. In three of the four Gospels, we find Jesus either saying or affirming these very words in answer to the question, what is the most important commandment? In, in Mark 12, he says this, Jesus answered, the most important is hear, O Israel. He's quoting Deuteronomy here. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, and now I quote Leviticus 19. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. It turns out that loving your neighbor is wildly important if we want to be obedient to Jesus. And that's a problem if we, like our culture, affirm the goodness of loving thy neighbor and yet struggle to actually do it. 
What we're in need of this morning when it comes to loving thy neighbor is not more exhortations to be kind, to be nice to one another, but a complete reset, a recapturing of how this command, originally found in Leviticus 19.18, was always intended to be obeyed. And that's what I want to do this morning. I, I want to rescue love thy neighbor from Hallmark cards and Instagram calligraphy. I want us to see as a radically practical instruction, the words of Leviticus 19, 18, the words echoed by Jesus, words that Jesus intends for us to bring the very kingdom of God to our neighborhood. Are you excited? You should be. Here's our outline today. One, the Israelite vision. Two, the global village problem. And three, the Jesus solution. So if you have your Bibles, uh, go to a place perhaps you haven't been in a while. Leviticus 19. And we're going to read Leviticus 19, verse 18. And there we read these words. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Leviticus is all about how God's people are intended to live. More specifically, how God's people, prone to evil and, and prone to sin and, and wickedness, can live and should live in view of a holy and good God. What's required of God's people is holiness. And we see in Leviticus is required both in their worship, but also in their life together as a community. And as we come to chapter 19, we are looking at how God's people are to act in holiness as a community, as a group of people. And what I want us to notice right away out of this text, and in Leviticus 19 in general, is how granular and how particular loving thy neighbor actually is. Let's look, for example, a few verses before the text we read in Leviticus 9, sorry, 19 verses 9 to 10. We read these words, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to the, its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. Again, I am the Lord your God. If we keep on reading, we see that loving thy neighbor not only happens in the field, not only happens in our homes, but also in our places of employment. In the courts, and as you walk to the fields and the homes and the courts, and as you go past people who are deaf and blind, who are in need, and you go by them, we are to love our neighbors in every sphere. But not only that, Leviticus 19.18 tells us we are to love our neighbors in every sphere, every one of them, all, all of them. Uh, the word used for neighbor that we find in our passage is a word that is so open-ended it could literally be translated as friend or fellow citizen or even just as other person. A neighbor, I'll put this on the screen, a neighbor then is anyone near you in need. A neighbor is anyone near you in need. This is the Israelite vision of neighboring. And notice that as we come to the New Testament, Jesus in the Gospels affirms this very definition of neighbor. If you want, you can go to Luke 10. And in Luke 10, we find the parable of the Good Samaritan. And there we read that a teacher of the law, it says, is trying to justify himself. And trying to justify himself, he asks Jesus a question. Who is my neighbor? 
Now, this seems like a strange question for the teacher of the, the law to ask. After all, he knows Leviticus better than me, be, be, better than you. Isn't he familiar with Leviticus 19.18? It's this open-ended at everyone. But you see what's happened between Leviticus and Jesus. The definition of neighbor had slowly got smaller, had slowly become more closely defined. And by the time of Jesus, some people suggest that neighbor for the Jews only included other Jews. So beginning here in Leviticus, slowly becoming more narrow. And in response to this question, Jesus tells a parable. A parable wherein a man traveling to Jericho is ambushed and left for dead. Uh, presumably Jewish, uh, this man is, is passed by two of his own kinsmen, a priest and, and a Levite. And it's not until a Samaritan comes along, gasp, a Samaritan, and the Samaritan bandages up the man and puts him in an inn and pays for the man's further care. See, in this parable, through presenting an ethnic enemy of the Jews, the Samaritans, through presenting an ethnic enemy of the Jews as the one who obeys the law, who loves thy neighbor, Jesus again widens that definition back to its original Levitical intent. To love your neighbor, according to Leviticus, and according to Jesus, is to do good to all those in need around us. See, this is not only Israel's vision, this is our vision. It becomes our vision as the church of Jesus. And so why don't we do it? That's the question we asked at the start, right? Why, why, why don't we do it? I want to take us to point number two. And as we ask this question, let's be honest, there are many reasons we don't love our neighbor. Many reasons. Uh, chief among them, we are sinners. People who know the good and yet fail to, to do it. But I want to focus on one very particular reason why we do not love our neighbor this morning, one that exists uniquely in our age. I want to take us to point number two, the global village problem. See, here's the problem. We read Leviticus 19, or maybe you don't, but we read the parable of the Good Samaritan and rightly conclude that our response ought to be to not put boundaries on who we classify as our neighbors. Well, we're quite comfortable with that. We show compassion to whomever is in need. The problem comes when we recognize that our world is much bigger than, than Jesus's. Our world is much bigger than Israel's. Our world no longer ends as far as the eye can see, but it reaches to the very corner of the earth. We go online and suddenly you and I are swept up in this thing that we love to call the global village. And so it works like this. Our news feed, it tells us not only what happened at Maine and Broadway last night, but also tells us of the hurricane threatening the Caribbean. Our political interests, they're not just local or, or even national, but in fact are international uh, we know the ins and outs of policies that have impacted people whom we've never met in a country that we've never been to. And we're anxious. We're not only anxious about crime in Hastings Sunrise, but we're anxious about crime in Chicago, in, in London, in, in New York, and beyond. And what happens when we think we can live in this global village is that we end up, I want to suggest to you very gently, we end up missing our literal neighbor next door. You know, the person who lives in the house beside your house. The person who lives in the apartment beside your apartment. 
we see the command to love our neighbors today not as a specific command to love our literal neighbors, but as a universal idea about being nice to people in the world. This is the global village problem. In making our neighbors everybody, we have made our neighbors nobody. Uh, author, farmer, uh, Christian thinker, Wendell Berry, he, he famously summarizes the problem like this. There can be no such thing as a global village. No matter how much one may love the world as a whole, one can live fully in it only by living responsibly in some small part of it. Where we live and who we live there with define the terms of our relationship to the world and to humanity. If that quote sounds familiar to you, it's because when we planted Christ City East Vancouver, this was the quote we used in the video. This is why we're a neighborhood church. This is why we feel called to serve this neighborhood in this place, to serve these people. What's assumed in Leviticus 19, what's assumed in Luke 10, uh, what's assumed even with the Apostle Paul and all his exhortations to love one another is this one often overlooked thing. It's really simple. Proximity. Proximity. You and I can really only love someone as far as our hands can reach. And that is either a very infuriating statement to you or an incredibly liberating one. If that statement is infuriating to you, let me remind you of something that I often forget. One of the foundational tenets of Christianity is that God is omnipresent. He, he's, he's everywhere. Uh, that God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. That God is omnipotent. Uh, he's all-powerful. That God is all of these things and, wait for it, you and I are not. You and I are not. Despite what our technology tries to tell us, despite all our culture tells us, despite all these efforts to immortality in science and in Silicon Valley, we are none of these things. Further, we were made to be none of these things. See, what the Bible assumes all the way through as you trace the arc of loving thy neighbor throughout the scriptures is that you and I are geographically limited people with limited power and limited knowledge. And further, it's with all those limitations in play that you and I are to love our neighbor. Take it, please, from someone who likes to think he has the omnis at times, likes to grab a hold of those at times. When, when I try to love thy neighbor in need, not near me, but in the global village, tackling global problems with their global responsibility, I don't know about you, but I soon find myself despairing. I soon find myself discouraged. But if you're like me this morning, I want us to go together to point number three, and this is the Jesus solution. And I want us to hear this liberating word, this freeing word that we find in the life of Jesus. John writes in his gospel, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Christ City, how did Jesus love us? It's not from afar. It's not from a distance. John tells us that the eternal word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
As Eugene Peterson paraphrases in his commentary, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. uh, Jesus, rather, enters time and space. And while fully remaining God was not omnipresent, Jesus lived, taught, ate, laughed, mourned, rebuked. He suffered and he died, all within a relatively small geographical space. And and while many heard him speak, he really only committed himself to the twelve. It was these twelve whose feet he washed. These twelve who were welcomed into the most intimate moments of his life. And at some points, these twelve were even reduced just to three. He loved steadfastly through Peter's uh, denials in the midst of Thomas's doubting. Uh, all the while, while the apostles fail to understand time and time again, he, he never gives up. He doesn't move on. He doesn't grow bored. Jesus loves those in need who are near to him. And he does this steadfastly, faithfully. So if neighboring overwhelms you today, if neighboring overwhelms you today, let me invite you to look to the example of Jesus. This pandemic has made our worlds very, very small. Very small. And and the pain that many of us feel from our shrinking worlds is really, at root, the pain of having to put up with the neighbor nearest to you. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your literal neighbor next door who plays music, loud music, late into the night. They are neighbors, often, that we cannot choose. These are neighbors that do not change with our changing interests. These are neighbors that we can't cancel if we don't like them. These are neighbors we we can't discard when we grow bored with them or annoyed with them or tired of them. But Christ City, hear this. There is no other neighbor that you've been called to love quite like the neighbor who is near to you, who is close to you. And you need to hear that not as a condemning word, but as a word of liberation. You are a finite being. You occupy maybe about six square feet. And your neighbor is whoever the person in need is in front of you. I want to give us just one quick example before giving us an exercise. Miriam Potit. Miriam Potit got her PhD in math uh, from the Air Force Institute of Technology. Uh, She is, to put it mildly, a wildly capable woman. And if anyone has capacity to love a lot of neighbors, if anybody is tempted to grab onto the omnis, surely it's Miriam Potit. But in a recent interview she gave, she talks about how she lives out the command to love our neighbors as ourselves. And I want us to notice something. I want us to listen to how small, in the best possible way, how small her vision is. Listen to this. In so many ways, my kids are needy and little. They are quite literally my first neighbors. At this age, they depend on me for their daily needs, giving me a regular opportunity to serve them. While staying home affords me the opportunity to also serve my friends and neighbors in need, I'm in closest proximity to my kids. And here's how I want us to end this morning. I want to give us an exercise. It's an exercise that may uh, show up in some of your community groups this week. 
I'm going to put a graphic up on the screen from a book called uh, The Art of Neighboring. And I know they spell neighbor wrong, but it's American, and so we can endure. What I want you to do is you can copy something like this, or uh, your community group leader has the handout of this, and they can give it to you. I want you to copy this down. And I want you to create a map. Who are the people who live to the north of you, to the south of you, the west of you, and the east of you? What are their names? Take some time, maybe after, or maybe now, to to write their names in that box. What do you know about them? Write that in the box as well. Friends, these are the people you've been called to neighbor. And I know for some of you, those boxes will be full. You you know all, all these people. For others of us, those boxes will be empty. And I need you to hear right now, not a word of condemnation, but a word of invitation. Friends, let me end where we begin. Christ City, you on your own can't solve the problem of loneliness in Vancouver. But you can invite that homesick exchange student who lives next door over for dinner. Christ City, you on your own can't solve the problem of racism that exists in every city. But you can bear witness to the ethnically inclusive love of Jesus as you commit to loving that neighbor across the street from you as they tell you what it's like to grow up as an immigrant in a strange city. Christ City, you on your own cannot solve the housing crisis. But You can rent your suite at below market value to ensure someone doesn't need to flee the city to find shelter. How can we do this? Hear me, Christ City. Only in Jesus. Only in his and through his steadfast love. Only as we, like him, move into the neighborhood to love thy neighbor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us as we struggle to love our neighbor. Would you give us favor? Would you create pathways for us to walk in as we seek to bring to them in word and in deed uh, the gospel of your son, Jesus? Amen.